This podcast, this podcast is brought to you, brought to you. <laughs> by, uh, by Uncle Ryan's, my Uncle Ryan's company, Humbly Biplane, Biplane Productions, Productions. Hi, my name is John, and I'm an adventurer. Hi, my name is Ryan, and I'm an adventurer. On the Everyday Adventures podcast, we talk about adventure as something that gives us a fear to face, a challenge to overcome, and then some sort of reward to enjoy, like accomplishment, a rush of reward chemicals in the body, or a connection with something bigger than ourselves. For almost all of these guests, the interviews have come after all of that, as we look back on adventures they've experienced and then look forward to adventures on their wish list. But today's guest comes to us in the middle of a grand adventure. I have found that every one of my big adventures requires a big surrender or a series of smaller ones. And I've watched John lean into a lifestyle of surrender. For those of you still in the middle of a challenge or the center of a surrender, I hope today's conversation encourages you to keep climbing your mountain or keep grinding through the challenge. Welcome to the Everyday Adventures podcast, John Harney. Thanks. That's, that's uh, a lot. <laughs> that, that's a that's quite a grand entrance there for what I feel my life is. So <laughs> I was listening to that like, is he talking about me? Is there somebody else? In? And now coming out is this person. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Johnny. Yeah, I, I think that's part of it too. Of the goal of my podcast has been to convince people. Not everyone's going to go to Antarctica. Not everyone's going to walk out on the wing of a plane. I obviously feel very blessed to be able to do some of that. But some of the grandest adventures in my life are things that people wouldn't necessarily look. Oh, that's a granted. Like right now I'm going through the process of adoption. Like no one would look at that and go, oh, wow, that like put that person on TV, give that person a podcast, you know. But um, I'm hoping to shine light on people who may not see their adventure as adventure because it looks like it to me. (laughs) Um, And that leads into my first question. Um, I don't know if many people would frame planning a church as an adventure at any point during the process, did you see it as an adventure or as a, uh, as a grand, <laughs> I don't know, exploration? I guess maybe in hindsight, because most adventures that we would think of as, you know, like adventurous, you know, something that some type of trip or some type of thing that you're going and doing, it, it generally has a, a, a level of you know either danger or something happening that you weren't expecting, and so there's been a lot of that. <laughs> there's been a lot of <laughs> there's been a lot of you know unexpected things, and you know I, I know for me a lot of adventures that I have you know have been on, um, and I think about and, and you and I both know Woody Torrance, and so I think about like adventures that I've been on with Woody. You walk away and you're humbled by the adventure that you've been on. Because you realize in hindsight kind of what you got to experience and what you saw and, and what happened. And, and if you can get past the and, – and this is a lot of my story. If you can get past the what you feel like happened to you um, and see what happened in you, you know, more of that. that, that it, rather than just life is happening to you, that life is happening inside of you that it can become kind of a grand adventure. So mm, life is happening. Life, I, don't, I don't know. Life that is happening inside you. I like that. Yeah. There's been a ton of growth in me over that area in the last, you know, four and a half years of this 
you know, as you put it, adventure that we've been on. We've called it a journey, you know, which journeys are full of lots of little different adventures and misadventures. And so there's there's been all of that stuff that has happened. And a lot of places that I found myself that I never thought I would find myself, you know, a lot of things I thought were going to happen that never actually did happen, that, you know, I had great people along on that journey with me, some of them physically like right here with me. And some of them, you know, either through text or phone call or an email, some of them popping in at times that I wasn't necessarily expecting them to, but they would pop in at just the right time. Or, you know, people that were just a phone call away where I could call and say, hey, like, I'm I'm ready to quit or I'm ready to give up or you know, in this, this next phase of the adventure, when I'm like, Hey, I'm feeling like it's time to kind of change course to, to, you know, move in another direction right now. This is how it's feeling. This is what I feel like God is doing in me. This is actually what I feel like God has been doing in me for all this time. Uh, I had, I had a good friend, again, another guy that, you know, Andrew Sharon, and he said, you know, if we knew, all the steps that God was going to take us through to get to the place that he was taking us to from the very beginning, we'd probably say no, because we would look and be like, right. And I know that's my case because, you know, I'm working at Blue Ridge. Uh, I had just the year before I left moved into what I think was probably the perfect position for me. I was leading all of student ministries and uh, my wife had even said, I've never seen you so alive. And then this thing happens maybe 10 months into it. I think it was about 10 months into it. And, you know, we feel like God is doing this change. And we're like, no, that's that's ridiculous. There's no way. Yeah, why why would he set me up to something perfect and then call me away from that? <laughs> right. Why, why, why would we be going in another direction right now? Because this is perfect. And and our life was perfect and easy. And that's probably the thing that I've come to realize over this journey. In fact, I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday about most Christians, I tend to overstate things as a, you know, like a teacher and a speaker. So I'm trying not to overstate this, but most Christians, their idea of being a Christian, of following Christ is is more like the American dream than it is about following Christ. Um, because it's like, I want, you know, a nice house with a nice yard, you know, a fence to kind of keep people out, two and a half kids, um, comfortable, easy life. Uh, and if you look through the life of Jesus, if you look through the writings of uh, the early apostles and, you know, followers, if you look at what you know, James, the brother of Jesus, and I heard it said before, you know, like, what would it take for your brother to convince you that he's the son of God? You know, that sort of thing. Um, if you look through the, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, yeah, especially really my brother, you know, the guy I was talking to yesterday, he's like, I love my brother, but he would have to die and come back from the dead for me to do that. And that's what happened. You know, if you look through those writings, there is no comfortable in that. And Christians love to claim the promises of God. Until it comes to, you know, like, take up your cross and follow me until those promises come from, like, you need to know that there will be trouble. And you need to be okay with that. And I think I've come, you know, so I went from really comfortable, my wife had a great job, 
Yeah, I had a great job. We were making more money than we had ever made. Our kids were just, you know, rolling right along. We were, you know, right at right where we, you had a cool house. Yeah, I mean, we had we had it all. We had great friends that were more like family. You know, a lot of them right behind me here on this wall, and and, and that was that was our life. And then we gave it up. And you know, as soon as we moved it was uncomfortable because one of the very first things that we did was we moved in with my parents. So we went from a, a full house that we had to ourselves to just two rooms, you know, a room for Angel and I, and then a room for our boys where my son going into high school and my son going into middle school were back sleeping in bunk beds inside of a tiny little room that when I was a child, my parents moved me out of when I got bigger because it was the smallest room in the house. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I went, you and I know several people who've made those kind of sacrifices. I think one of the other podcast guests I've had is Dave Koontz in the nineties, walked away from 300 plus thousand dollars a year income uh, for Jesus. My wife, I don't know if you remember this right about the time that you transitioned from Blue Ridge community church to Bridgetown. She had just won photographer of the year here, which was her goal. You know, she was getting inquiries from as far away as Israel and being featured in Australia and Great Britain. And she was at the top of her game and she said, no, I'm going into ministry. And it, it draws other people into it. Right? I remember crying the, after the first baptism we had after she had made that transition and she's baptizing a woman. And obviously, we took us we had to make some changes in our family when all that happened. And I'm just I was standing in the back real emotional and like, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing, you know? So, yeah, that's, so that leads to my, man, you're, you're the king of segues. You don't even know what the questions are and you're setting me up. I got to say, thank you. So like, what would drive you to give that all up? Like what, because most people, as you and I know, you and I both grew up in the same church systems. Most people are called to a bigger church, right? No one's ever called uh, to a less comfortable, maybe to the mission field. We got a lot of those stories, you know, or maybe to work with homeless or whatever. But most stories that we heard, uh, you would be called now which, to which be the doesn't senior. help it, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, because it's like, oh, so it's either like this, which is <laughs> nothing, or it is go live with the Zulu tribe in, <laughs> you know, West Africa. Learn how to do that clicky thing with your voice. <laughs> right. You know, I don't want to get too stereotypical here, but, you know, like go to third world country or just kind of muddle through life. And that's not the truth. I think there's so much yeah. American dream wrapped up, even outside of prosperity gospel. Um, there's a fantastic book I read last year. Um, uh, young woman, she was getting her master's degree at Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, I think Caitlin Schlesch, I think is her name, but the name of the book is Liturgy of Politics. And it's about how the church has been changed by politics rather. They're thinking that we're changing politics as a church, but actually politics has changed us as a church. And she talked about the four false gospels that have infiltrated the church. And one of them is this whole idea of like the American dream. Like we, we need a bigger building, a bigger congregation, more campuses, you know, all the things that and go And there's with. nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. No, I mean, God there's needs absolutely those nothing wrong with that. I mean, you're in one of those, you know, I mean, I know what you guys are up to right now with, with Blue Ridge. I talk with Jeremy all the time, but you got, you know, 
you're a part of a church with a very big, nice building, which I miss, you know, like (laughs) I miss my office, you know, I had, there, it was great times that back 40 to go and like walk and get some clarity of space and, and do stuff like that. Like there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but the church is not a building. The church comes to that building sometimes, and the church is supposed to drag with them people um, who are hurting and needing and looking for purpose and looking, you know, for life that, you know, because we see everybody saying, uh, you know, I was just scrolling through Facebook as I like fell asleep last night. I know they tell you not to do that, but it doesn't really <laughs> seem to bother me. Um, and so I'm scrolling through it and I'm seeing, uh, you know, this job is coming between me and my best life. Hmm. You know, I'm taking a couple weeks off to go live my best life and all this stuff. And, you know, so we create so many, and I know this can be like a, an overly religious word, but there's, there's a lot of truth in behind it. We can create so many idols in our life, things that we idolize of, you know, the good job, the big paycheck, the house kids. Oh, for I sure. see kids like there's such an idolatry of family, idolatry of blood family rather than a redefinition of family. When you redefine family, you know, under what like Jesus said, you look around you and like everybody is potential family that is surrounding you. So mm. if you stick up for your family and you define it the way that Jesus defines family, then that person across the street from me that is hurting, they are family or they are, they are the potential of family in my life. And so I want to love them as such. It changes the way that I see everything. So instead of me politicizing, uh, politicizing like social injustices, you know, racial inequalities and things like that, I look and I, I look for the nugget of truth and I look for the good and I look for a way to you know, as Jesus said, and we all love to quote, like, love thy neighbor. But when it becomes love thy black, brown, you know, yellow neighbor, love thy LGBTQ neighbor, love thy, you know, neighbor that looks like you, your neighbor that doesn't look like you, that has the same amount of money as you, that doesn't have that, that has more than you, you know, and sometimes some of the poorest people I know have the most money. How so? They're, they're not... I'm rich in ways that they'll never be, or, you know, or at least oh, gotcha. they aren't It's a different right currency. Now. They're rich in it's a different... It's a different currency. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. Like John, a pastor lives in my house. I might be one, but my wife certainly is. She's been shepherding souls for more than a decade. I wrote about my experience of supporting her ministry in my blog post entitled, Six Ways to Be a Better Pastor's Husband. You can find it on my blog at explorance.org slash pastor's husband. Don't worry about remembering that link. It'll be in the show notes. If you'd like to receive my post about physical adventures and spiritual explorations in your email inbox, you can subscribe at the bottom of any page on my blog. I also announce them in my Insta stories under the Ryplane Instagram account. That's R-Y-P-L-A-N-E. I hope my stories inspire you to chase your own adventures and explore the fascinating corners of your world. Within one of the most vulnerable accounts from my new book, Scared to Life, you can read about how John spoke incredible encouragement into my heart. You'll find that story in chapter 13, titled, 
cold ramen in the clouds. Scared to Life is available in paperback and online retailers. You can find the audiobook version at Audible, iTunes, and the Google Play Store. And don't worry, no voice actors were harmed in the production of this audio recording. I spared them all by reading it myself. <laughs> if you prefer to read books on a phone, tablet, or e-reader, you'll find Scared to Life in the Kindle Store and on Kindle Unlimited. So uh, going back to this transition. Oh, right. <laughs> you're uh, did what, God? What made me know yeah. that this is what we're supposed to do? So you 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 know the term convergence when I say it, but if I explained it just for anybody listening, I, here's how I explain it to people. I struggle with anyone who says God told me. Yeah, same. Because that has <laughs> been so it's been so misused. Oh, for sure. Powerful men, generally white men have said, God told me that we should. And then, uh, you know, this flock of lemmings just go, okay, let's go, you know, and let's do this because the pastor said, this is what we're supposed to do rather than anybody having a thought of their own and questioning and say, you know, why, why are we yeah. doing this? What's How'd going on? on What's happening? Why are we spending this money? Why are we going to this thing? Why are we getting in behind this? So, um, there was a ton of, convergence, which is, I feel like God is doing something in me. I maybe sit on it. And that's what happened with us because we thought it was crazy and we didn't want to do it. So we sat on it and didn't tell anybody for a while. And then things just started happening that I can't explain. I would say that it was like the Holy Spirit of God that was kind of working, you know, speaking in other people and using them in our lives. And, and people could probably uh, argue that with me, but it's my life, and that's what happened, and it was weird. It was absolutely weird. So one of the biggest ones, um, this happened at a, a big conference called Catalyst down in Atlanta where uh, for the first time Angel and I were there, and we were there like just for us. And when we went away on the first break, we didn't have to be in one of the groups because I was leading people who led the groups. So we're, we had decided to do this just as a couple, see what was coming next. We were going into big transitions with our, our kids, high school, middle school. Um, she was going to be finishing up her schooling and doing some stuff. So we're like, let's just see what, like kind of how God leads us through this. So we're walking around the parking lot. We're both crying. And she's like, you know, what is, what is God doing in you? And I'm like, you go first. She's like, you're the man, you go first. And I'm like, <laughs> dang you woman. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, here, here's what I'm kind of, you know, feeling right now, but this is ridiculous. And then as soon as I said it, she started bawling, crying. She's like, I've been thinking the same thing. No way. And specifically Dayton. Yeah. No way. Now there's a big setup to that, right? So we grew up here. Uh, our families were here. We would come back and visit all the time, but we watched as family and friends and stuff who uh, many of them had been, you know, associated with, been a part of the church, had walked away from it, or had been hurt by it, you know, things like that. And and so when we would come back and visit, we were trying to, we would go with them to a church ministry, we'd go with them to a church service, we would go check things out, we would we would Google things while we were at home, like, oh, this looks like a good one, let's go, you know, here for Christmas, let's go here, like over the summertime or whatever, and we would try to get them connected with things, but nothing ever stuck. Then they would come visit us in Virginia and visit us at, at Blue Ridge Community Church. And they would say, if there was only a Blue Ridge in Dayton, 
if, if only there was a, a Blue Ridge in Dayton, like, oh, well, we'll help you find one. And we were, you know, looking around. And in that moment at Catalyst, it was, hey, I don't want you to just be a part of the solution. I want you to go and be a solution. And and the actual feeling that we both had inside of us, the, the thought that we had, what was inside of our heads um, was that we were supposed to go make a difference in Dayton. And that's very important. Um, that's what it's always been to me that we're supposed to go make a difference in Dayton because there's so many like there's a lot of old religion that's over here. And then there is this next generation that is is making up the nuns. They've either seen their parents put everything into it and it's not brought anything close to life out of them um, or they tried it and they got hurt by it. Or it's just like, well, why would I spend time on a Sunday? But it's because it's all about a Sunday. That, that's when we, we heard you're supposed to make a difference. So then fast forward like a, a month or so out from that. And uh, Jeremy is walking down the hallway. My office is there. He uh, knocks on my door. Jeremy was, you know, he's my boss, my friend, everything at Blue Ridge. We had been a part of this, this group that was praying about, hey, what's the next thing that God is going to do with us? And he comes walking in. He's like, hey, I just got something to share with you. And, and just I'll just kind of fast forward through it. He said, um, so, you know, we, we've been praying about like church planning and stuff. And I just wanted to let you know, like, when I pray about that, I think about you, I think about you like starting a church, but you know, if I was specific with you, John, I don't see you like starting another campus of Blue Ridge, like downtown or out in Bedford or anything like that. He's like, I see, I think about you going back to your hometown. I know your heart breaks for, you know, people that wow. you love there. Wow. And I think about you going back there to, to, to be, a, you know, to be a, a part of the church there. And my eyes were like this and like, he's like you had you you hadn't told him all the catalyst stuff <laughs> no way <laughs> i didn't know that part of the story no i i didn't want to do this right. so of course i didn't tell anybody oh, yeah yeah you're not gonna tell your boss yeah <laughs> why would i tell my my boss who's been praying about this stuff if i you know because i know blue ridge you know blue ridge they are a, a group of people that if you tell them like, hey, I think God might be, you know, doing some and it's it's some kind of big, you know, as you've put it, an adventure like this, they're gonna be like, All right, let's start praying about this more. And it's like, I don't wanna pray. <laughs> yeah, about I don't this want more. this more. No. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> yep, so I just, <laughs> you know, I, I think about like uh where where uh, Matthew writes about how Mary, you know, took all these things and held them inside of her heart. Like that was us. We're just like, let's just hold on to this. Let's just see what happens. You know, maybe it'll go away. Yeah, we don't, at, at part of our culture, we don't think people are crazy for dreaming dreams. You know, like we're just like, oh, well, that's, that's cool. Let's pray about that for six months and then see what happens. I mean, almost every major ministry I that has started since I've, I've only been going to Blue for 15 years, but almost every major ministry that started, started with someone going, I feel like, and rather than just starting something, they go, okay, well go meet and pray for four months, six months, whatever, and see what happens. And sometimes you have the, I don't want to pray about it because I want to do something. And then you get the other, I don't, no, I don't want to pray about this because I'm afraid Jesus is going to give me something big. Like, <laughs> just both, ends, both of them are, I don't want to pray about this, but he will like it. Happens. So did anybody think you were crazy? I mean, we tended to support you, but did, there had to be people in your life who be like, dude, this is crazy. Most of our family was, you know, excited about it, but they're thinking about it through again, the lens, a cultural lens of John and Angel are moving back home. Mm, okay. And so we had to make it very clear from the very start, like, hey, we're not just 
moving back home. So like with our parents, we love you, but you know, and we're going to see you more obviously because we're going to be right here in this town. In so your basement. that's going to be, <laughs> well, yeah, with my parents for the next five months, you're going to see a whole lot of us more than you want to see, you know, but we didn't move back here to like, just to take care of you. Now I'm an only child. So, and my parents are in their seventies and I was, there was a part of it that I, cause I had been struggling with what does it look like to take care of my parents? And every time I would pray about, should I try to move back to Dayton to be there for my parents? I felt like God shut that down, which is opposite of the, you know, take care of your family thing. And even my parents would say like, no, like we see what God, you know, they have a, they have a very spiritual perspective. It's, it's kind of weird. It's not how my relationship with God looks, but it's, it's a very spiritual perspective that they have on life. And so they'd be like, no, we don't want you to just move back here to take care of us. If something happens, you know, we can kind of fend for ourselves or we can make it through seven hours. That's how far away I was, or, you know, through a short plane flight until you could get here or whatever, or there's people that, you know, we know that are around who could jump in and help us in the meantime. Like it's that Nehemiah principle. Like I'm doing a good work. I can't come down. Right, 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 right. You know, so the idea of coming and taking care of my family was never something that was affirmed by God or, you know, other people or, you know, not that other people said, no, I don't go take care of your family, but, <laughs> right, right. you know, it's just like, what well, you know, most of the time it was, well, if, you know, if, if that's what you feel like you would ever need to do, but as we would pray about it, it was just never like, yeah, that's what we need to do. We need to go and take care of our family. So it was a separate, you felt that it was a separate calling. Oh, it was completely separate. Yeah. Yeah. Very completely. And I know, I know this from our conversations offline, but Dayton comes with baggage for you too, right? Like there were things that you had to overcome with starting a church. And I I don't know what you're confident of putting on the internet, but I mean, it was starting a church by itself is hard. Starting a church where you grew up and where people know you as a certain personality and, and your dad's a pastor as mine is or was. Uh Like there, there's a whole lot that comes with it and neither, you nor I are in the tradition in which we were reared. So there's a lot of that, like what were some of the harder challenges and that you faced specifically having to come to Dayton? Um, I would say who I was as a teenager. Okay. And it, and it's not that, you know, I was, uh, you know, like into drugs and party scene and all this other stuff. I was the exact opposite. And I was so far the exact opposite that I was the judgmental prick um, to people that were around me. You know, as you get older, you come to realize that it's hard to separate the thoughts you had and the things that you actually said and did from that time. And so I knew what my heart was when I was in high school. I, I looked at my friends as projects and they were all just kind of screwed up puzzles that I wanted to piece back together. And I was going to be the good kid that followed all the rules that did all of the things. It's, you know, some of it's in my personality. I'm, I'm kind of an all in all out sort of guy. Um, I can confirm that. <laughs> yeah. And so when I, when I was growing up, I followed all the rules. I was the like best rule follower that there was. And I held a judgmental perspective to 
people at my school. I went to a, a, a public high school. I held a judgmental view towards people at high school and everything. Um, even people that we, you know, went to church with people who were at the same church ministry as me, like I held a judgmental perspective towards a lot because I knew what they were doing. I have an intimidating personality, but I have a personality where Angel put it to me this way most recently that people know if they tell me something in confidence that it's going to stay in confidence with me. And so people even if they're intimidated of me, they will tell me things that they've never told anyone. I, you know, so I had a lot of dirt on a lot of different people. Oh, wow. And I kept, you were the priest. I was almost like, yeah, almost, almost, almost like the priest. And so I had all of this information on people. I would silently and quietly judge them. And sometimes I'm sure I would mistreat them when I was growing up. And so Coming back to that place, you know, coming back to this place, knowing that from as large of a high school that I graduated from, like over 600 people, I believe, were in my graduating class. Um, and then there was all these other schools and stuff around where I knew people from just, you know, because our our church wasn't just like, you know, one you know little place because there's all these little suburbs that are, are around in this area. So I knew people from probably eight different schools. So I know all of these people around, all coming from the same size high schools and, and, and people who were there. I know how I treated people and all. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to see some of these people at some point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That in itself is just a fearful notion of you've been an a-hole to somebody <laughs> and you could be walking, now you, want to <laughs> you could be walking through Kroger or Walmart or whatever, and all of a sudden come face to face with this person. And I look very different, you know, no hair or anything. And, and earrings and, and tattoos and stuff. And, and probably none of the people who knew me back then thought that that would ever be something that would be me, you know, but I have been noticed, you know, recognized by people before and by some people that I've mistreated and, and I've had to, you know, I refed basketball for two years here and I ran into this girl that I knew from high school and she recognized me and I, you know, I recognized her and on the side of this basketball court as I'm leaving and I'm in my ref gear and stuff still, I'm looking into saying, I, I am so sorry for ways I treated you and everything. And she was very kind and said, you know, I never felt mistreated by you or whatever, but I'm like, I don't know how you couldn't. I don't know. I don't know how you, you know, that's very, it's very kind of you, but I don't know how you couldn't have felt that way. Sitting down to dinner with, you know, a bunch of old friends and looking across the table at a guy that he had come, to, this is how terrible this is. He had come to church with his girlfriend and us guys really didn't like him. And I specifically didn't like him because I liked his girlfriend. And so we all, <laughs> right. We all kind of mistreated him. And at one point he made like a profession of faith and all this other stuff. And I can remember, I can remember saying to someone again, I don't know who that guys will do anything to, to get a girl, like totally diminishing what God could have been instead of celebrating with him, diminishing what happened because I liked his girlfriend. And so we all, and it was very you know clear how we were treating him and, and, and things that I had said about him. And here's this guy sitting across the table. So I, I, I leaned across the table and I said, I was such an.
to you in high school. And I am so sorry because that's the only thing that I have found that truly creates reconciliation. Yeah. Yeah. What was his response to that? You know, it's, it was the dude kind of thing of, Hey, like we're good man or whatever. But I know what that would do to me later. I might say that right in that moment. I know what that would do to me later. And I know that their family is going through a time right now. And I don't know exactly what it all is, but I know that their family is going through like a time right now. And even just for my heart, it helps me like when I pray and think of them more, you know, like with what's going on in their life, it, it, it just frees up my heart to be for them. It's hard to say that you're for Dayton and then you're carrying all this crap with you. So you just got to take care of it. But I have found, and I don't know if this is true for you, I have found that an apology, a thorough, adequate, uh, appropriate apology is one of the best uh, ways to be Jesus that there is. I mean, I've had time with people who don't know Jesus and going, you know what, I just made, I just made a call professionally that someone who follows Jesus should not make, or I just said something, or I just wrote an email, and man, that was just inappropriate. And I've been doing a lot of reading about trauma and parenting. You know, as you know, we're in the process of adopting and um, mm-hmm. and and dealing with traumas from my childhood and stuff. And what's been fascinating is, and this is across almost every book I've read, it's that every relationship goes through tears. What what builds it stronger is the repair, and it's just like mm-hmm. working out. Like you rip the muscles to get you only get bigger by tearing the muscle tissue and letting it grow and repair. And oftentimes the, the tear and repair will make it stronger than the original because mm. it was never tested or stretched or whatever. Right. And so it gives people a pattern of, Oh wow, this is, this is normative to say, I screwed up. I'm sorry. I did not reflect Jesus in this way. He'll probably trust you with things now that he wouldn't have before, you know? Well, they asked Jesus, what's the most important thing? And he said, love God, to which, you know, all the Jewish Pharisees, the the hierarchy of their politicized uh, religion at the time, you know, they're all just like, yes, love God with, you know, everything. He's like, but the second thing, the co-like important thing is to love your neighbor as yourself, to which they're all just like, you know, and, and they, they tried to be sneaky of, well, and so who is your neighbor? You know, and he defined it as this like wide arching thing. And then he, Jesus goes on, you look in his life and the things that he said and, and the stuff that uh, through scripture, you know, we look at it and we over spiritualize it, but so much of it is just very, very practical of, you know, even like King David saying, don't let the sun go down on your anger, carry with you for as little amount of time as you can, the angers of your life, you know, the misgivings of your life, you know, uh, Matthew writing in Matthew 18 and what we call Matthew 18, but him writing in his letter and saying, if you know that, you know, if you have something against someone go and take care of it, like don't come to the altar and bring yourself and you've got something against someone. And if you know that someone else has something against you, you have a responsibility in that one as well. If you know, you need to go to them as well. So I mean, you could do a whole podcast on just that adventure of go back to your life and think of the people that you've wronged and that and people that have wronged you and just go call all those people or show up at all their doors like you want an adventure. And I can remember I had to clear out space in my heart when I showed up to Blue Ridge because 
in the first five years that I was, you know, in ministry, which everybody's in ministry. If, if you're a follower of Christ, you're in ministry. Just stop it. Okay. Just because <laughs> I happen to get a paycheck for it. You know, if anything, it just makes it a little more dirty because I get money to do what we're all supposed to be doing. And really what I'm supposed to be doing is just helping other people to harness the power of the ministry that they're supposed to have in their life. So that's my side subject. I had to clear out space in my heart. So I had worked for four different churches in five years before I came to Blue Ridge. And it was, it was horrible, some horrible, horrible stories of that time. Um, that's, that's a whole other venture that I was on before I got to Blue Ridge. Blue Ridge at the beginning was healing for me. So I get there. And uh, again, another person we have in common, Peggy, Peggy Schaub says to me, she's like, you, you've got to take care of this. And she ended up encouraging me to call all of these guys that I had worked for before and apologizing to them, you know, look for what it is that, that you did there, there has to be something, find your part and then offer forgiveness to them. And so in one day I sat down and called all of these guys and that was so hard to even just dial those oh my numbers. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm just doing it in one day. I'm just getting this done. I spent an entire day on the phone Eat the frog. talking to these people. Yeah. And so the first guy I call, I don't even know why you're calling me. And I still think you're going to come back and work for me. And it's like, okay. I, you know, the second guy, <laughs> the second guy I call is just like, well, I don't, I don't need your forgiveness. I did nothing wrong. You were the only one that was in the wrong. The third guy I call, I call and he says, you were right that I needed to deal with what I needed to deal with. And they fired me not long after that they got rid of you. And the last guy called and said, you changed my life when you left with what you said. And here's what's going on in my life. And I'm actually going to be kind of walking away from this because I probably never should have been in there. And so you go from this first place, like I had the full spectrum in one day, this first, you know, this first place where there was nothing that was there. The set, you know, the second place where it was kind of all put on me, the third place where like there was this, you know, kind of good middle ground, but there was, there was nothing super positive from it. And the last one, I'm still friends with the guy to this day. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But that account, that accountability piece is huge. It just cleans up the, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I'm not holding on to all this crap anymore. You know, I'm getting ready to go on a trip to Seattle, Washington. We're going to go to Mount Rainier. You know, I thought about you when we're doing this. My my oldest son is an adventurer. He planned this whole trip for us as a family. So I, I'm using that in this kind of way. We're going to pack bags when we go. And when I get there, I want my baggage to show up. When we leave and come back, all of our stuff in our bags are going to – it's probably going to be gross. But I still want it to show up back home, and I'm going to bring it here, and I'm going to unpack it, and I'm going to wash stuff, and I'm going to use it at a later time. Baggage in life is something that's just going to happen. Everybody's on an everyday adventure, at least if you're doing something. If you're really breathing and putting yourself out there in the world, you're on an everyday adventure. Your baggage is going to start to fill up. But every now and then, you got to stop, and you got to sort through all that stuff, and you got to clean up the things that need to be used. And some of the stuff you got to look at and go, this is, this is kind of ratty and old, and I need to just get rid of this. But baggage baggage happens. It doesn't mean that it's it doesn't have to define you. Yeah, it's interesting. So the episode that I recorded uh, just before talking to you here was with our friend H.B. Atkinson. Mm. And he was talking to me about um, – we we're talking about whitewater kayaking and canoeing and rafting and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, we've been in some dangerous positions and he brought up a concept. I never thought of that speaks to this. He said, it's almost like a community experience for him. 
and that every time he goes to a situation where he knows I could be seriously hurt or killed, he's I get things right with everybody in my family. And he said, and so what I need to do then is I need to have, and he, he has actual number in his head. If I don't do something that scares me four times a year, uh, I'm not do, I'm not getting caught up in my accounts, my various relationships often enough. And so he's he, he actually does the scary thing on purpose because it pushes him to do the thing that our church emphasizes so much is say the last 10 percent, make sure there's nothing in the air between you and, and all that. And it's hard, but it's an this sounds weird to say, but it's an easier hard. Like you feel better about it afterwards. Um, I've had some really difficult conversations as <laughs> help me and understand. <laughs> right. And you don't always feel better after it. So, I mean, there is that part. As my little buddy mentioned earlier, this podcast is sponsored by Biplane Productions, a company that builds direct mail and social media campaigns for adventurers in the auction industry. If you're not an auctioneer, thanks for listening to one of my favorite tax deductions. If you are an auctioneer, find out why more than 200 auction companies have trusted me to advertise almost 9,000 auctions across 49 states and seven foreign countries, winning more than 250 industry awards in the process. If you'd like my help, click the big orange button that says Get Ryan's Help at the top of the page at www.biplaneproductions.com. So uh, let's let's do as we get close to finish up here. What is the future of Bridgetown Church? Like you've kind of alluded to it. So the last four and oh, a half Bridge years, Church, uh-huh. Bridge Church. Sorry, uh-huh. I get that confused. Bridge Church. That's all right. So we are transitioning. Uh, there came a moment, and this is an adventure of it, of its own. Um, there came a moment where we looked, and it, and we didn't say that the time we had invested was lost or that it was misused or that it was wasted. What God had done from, you know, 2015 to us moving in 2016 up until this, you know, point in 2021 was very useful. And I've stopped, I've stopped gauging things off of good and bad. I don't, I don't think that that's God's idea here. God can make use out of almost anything in our life if we're willing to look for it and if we're willing to yield it in that way. And so that time leading up to this, though, it's been, you know, kind of like this and, uh, you know, it's been that adventure that you've been talking about. It was very useful in my life since 2017. I've been learning that gentler hand. I've been learning how to sometimes throttle me, how to, and I, the way I've been putting it is, I've been learning how to leverage who I am for someone else. And that means I need to know who that per, who that person is, what their personality is. And I've even been studying like personality types. The Enneagram has been the biggest one for me because I think it gives a very clear kind of picture of someone. And if I know someone's Enneagram type, I approach them differently. And so it helps me to be for them who they need me to be, but to still be me. So we came to this point and and the question that we asked as a leadership team was, would it be misusing who we are, what we have, you know, what we have people-wise financially? God has actually really blessed us financially, not as much as is necessary to like 
you know, get a building and, and to really go the way we need to. But for the size that we, you know, still currently are like, we're, we're very blessed financially. So the finances that we have, the potential finances of the way that the giving culture, the, the culture of generosity, that a hundred percent of the people who are, um, like really core with, with bridge church, they're all givers and like good givers, you know, and talented and skillful. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of those things. Would we be misusing that to just keep clawing and scratching for bridge churches place here in Dayton? If we know, and, and God basically in the middle of COVID set me up, put me in this group, introduced me to a, a, a guy who was uh, leading a church that was literally right down the street from us here. And he lives right over here by me. He's about 14 years older than I am, but he is a guy that is still on an adventure. Someone who is uh, 59 years old and is willing to kind of blow everything up and to look for a whole new passage. Like that's someone, he is like Woody, just a different kind of version of Woody. He, you know, and he's the the fun uncle that is the storyteller and, you know, all that stuff like that. That's who this guy is. And so I was kind of drawn towards him because I saw a lot of those things. And I'm like, and they wanted to be for they their their moniker is for our neighbors. That's how they say it right now. And he kind of had jokes throughout uh, the end of 2020, like, oh, bro, I should just like hire you. And like, no, no, no you know, I'm, I'm for, you know, I'm for Bridge Church. I'm for what you guys are doing. But, you know, I'm sure it kind of planted that idea inside of me. And at the end of this first quarter this year, we, we asked that question, would it be a better use of who we are, what we have, you know, that old time, talent, treasures, you know, that type of stuff. Would it be a better use of all of that if we combined, like fully combined with them? And so we opened up that dialogue. I, I just started, I had been thinking about it since January. And praying about it and just holding it deep down inside of me because again it was one of those crazy things that and i wondered you know are people just gonna think i'm giving up but i had to get over i had to get over my own pride in that thing and then so then i kind of opened it up to angel my wife and she was like i could see this uh i met with uh so matt tolls who's an elder at blue ridge his wife is from the Cincinnati area. They were here around Easter time. I said, hey, could I buy you lunch? And I've always loved Matt's directness with me. And so Matt and I sat down. He's like, I think it's worth you taking the next step. He helped me define that next step. I took the next step. Those people who were part of our leadership team, John and Tiffany, that, I mean, you talk about an adventure. They hadn't even served really at Blue Ridge. And they gave up jobs and home and everything else with two little girls and picked up and moved to a place that they had never gone. At least I was from here. Like I have to honor what those people did and the love that I have for them. I love John and Tiffany. Like they are so important to our life story and this adventure that we've been on. And they are our family. In some ways, more than our family is our family. They are our family. So you got to take it to them first. Yeah. So we take it to them. And then I introduce it to the guy over here at Fair Creek. At first he was shocked. He ended up coming back to me and saying, you know, it just kind of seemed too good to be true that you were saying this, you know, to me. <laughs> and so then we started kind of walking into it. And um, so now I'm starting to like meet with elders, the staff at Fair Creek know, everybody at Bridge Church knows we're kind of winding things down. Um, we had started our online YouTube show just to kind of put the church into a different place. We just kind of wound down our, our, our YouTube show. We're stopping our 
our giveaways that we have been doing to support local businesses. That's another thing that we did during COVID, found businesses that were hurting, bought gift cards and stuff and pointed people towards them with our giveaways. And so we, we started shutting all that stuff down. And uh, right now I'm in this weird like transition place where I look around and these last, it's, these last couple of days, I've been going, what do I do with myself? <laughs> uh. So I'm almost like begging people like, hey, you know, it's like crack. Like, hey, can I come and do something? Can I, you know, can I do something? Is there anything that I can do? You know, because all I really have is like yard work and house cleaning and, you know, maybe Netflix stuff that people said, hey, you should watch this. And I'm like, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of time or I don't have a whole lot of uh, desire for entertainment anymore in my life because there's this mission that is out there that is so much more entertaining than entertainment. Yeah. It's more exciting. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, so that's where I'm at right now where we've kind of shut some of this other stuff down that I've been doing. I'm still, you know, kind of leading people and leading them towards where we're going and what's going on. And I'm already, you know, kind of involved over at Fair Creek, but I'm still, I'm, you know, transitioning with talking to, you know, some elders and finalizing some stuff there. But, um, you know, and being a part of something like, I, in fact, when I get off of here, what is it? Yeah, it's, it's eight 30. So when I get off of here with you, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to help do something at their building because they're hosting a baccalaureate service for a local high school because that high school couldn't do it at the place that they normally did it. And they just said, Hey, we'll jump in and do it. And I'm like, I'm going to be a part of this. I don't care. I'm coming, yeah. you know, <laughs> I need something I'll to move do. all the chairs. <laughs> right. Right. Don't, don't worry. Um, you know, and, and that's the cool thing too. And let me say this, people look at me and they go, how do you have so much energy? You know, cause I'm, I'm turning 45 this year. How do you have so much energy? And it's like, when you're living life that is fun and energizing and has mission involved with it, you know, that everything has a purpose. Every, everybody does something. Few people do things on purpose. And I don't mean just like on purpose, they go and do that, but that there's a purpose behind it. If you live every day of your life with a purpose, if you ask yourself, why am I doing this right now? And you have an answer to it that is mission oriented and behind it, like you'll enjoy every moment of your life. You, you won't even like look for vacationing moments. I want to live a life that is so like fun and exciting and enjoyable and mission oriented and everything else that I don't want to pay to escape it. Hmm. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of a lyric. I, I'm, I'm writing another book right now, by the way. And uh, I quoted this line. So Johnny Swim, one of my favorite bands and Abner Ramirez came up, has some baggage with church as well, but uh, has a line that says, while you pray for revival, I'm already living in one. <laughs> mm. And that's been that's my good. theme for the last several years. Like, you know, the faith system we grew up in, we needed revival services all the time. Cause people weren't excited about it. It was so much rote and uh, liturgy and whatever else. But when it's, when it's exciting to be part of something bigger than yourself, you don't have to generate. It doesn't mean you never get tired. It doesn't mean you never need a right. break and none of that stuff. But, but imagine if the church stopped praying for revival and started living it. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so as we think about the future, last question, every guest, I try to give you a chance to speak your dreams out into existence. Maybe someone listening can help you accomplish it or be inspired by it or uh, come alongside and say, yeah, I want to do that too. What is an adventure, a trip, a cool experience that's out there on your wish list to do someday? Like what is, 
I don't like so much to talk about bucket list because that usually means that there's a deadline. But what is what is something huh, out there? Dead. Like, <laughs> right. Before you uh, kick the bucket, that's what a bucket yeah, list is. Yeah, that's where <laughs> it came from. Uh, Deadline. So I have my list does not get shorter, unfortunately, because the more adventures I go on, the more I'm open to other people. Like, oh, if you like this, you should try this. If you like bungee, you should try skydive. If you like skydive, you should try wing walking. You know, it kind of works like that. What's something out there that you hope someday to experience? I I I, I struggle with this because again, almost every day feels very, you know, people would call it blessed. Life is just really, it's, it's good. It's, it's not easy, but it's, it's so good. I know my sons are getting older. I'm excited for what that's going to look like. You know, I'm seeing my oldest son who is 19 now, um, turning 20 later this year. I'm seeing like a man kind of come out of him which is one of those things I always told my kids, even when they're young, like I'm not raising boys, I'm raising men, you know, so I'm not going to, I was not a prepare the road for the child. I was prepare the child for the road person. And, um, so I'm seeing that. And even like the other day we were sitting out back and, uh, playing some game or something and just sitting out there and enjoying our life. And, uh, you know, he's, he's an introvert. If you know Enneagram, he's a type four, he's an individualist. And, uh, and so it was dark and I'm sure he felt a little bit of anonymity to be able to, you know, really say something truthful and and open (laughs) and honest. And, and he said to us, and, uh, you know, this is one of those things I was just like, I could die now, you know, I'm good. Um, he's like, you know, you have prepared me better than all of my friends for life. I, I, I feel better prepared than all of my friends for life. And you're like done check. <laughs> yeah. Hey, could, could I go now? <laughs> could I go now? <laughs> you know, because, and we're like, why? And he's like, well, you know, like you, and this was one of our things you and I grew up in again, in a religious system and, and in households and things. And this is not diminishing our families or anything. So if any of them are listening, like this isn't a diminishing, they did the very best that they could with what they had at that time. Um, but they tried to tell us, teach us what to think, not how to think. I tried to, and it started out as a reaction to my family and it became more of a response to what my life was. I tried to teach my sons how to think, how to process life, how to look at things, how to take them through a filter of, of God, of what, you know, of Jesus and not just what would Jesus do, but how did Jesus live his life? Um, and, and they're, you know, they're still figuring out what followership of Jesus looks like. And it's going to be different for, for both of my sons. And, and that's fine, but I've watched them make some poor decisions. And not really be interested in any input. I've watched them make some good decisions. And I'm watching my oldest son right now make some really wise decisions. And I'm watching him, you know, he's 19 years old and saying, you know, like basically, dad, you're not as dumb as I thought that you were. (laughs) It took me until 25 to realize that, you know, like at 25 years old, I think I was finally going, oh, my dad's not as dumb as I thought he was. You know, my parents are not as dumb as they, so he's, you know, basically like six years ahead of me. So I think about what that could play out to and the adventures that we could go on. Cause he has very much an adventurous spirit. And I've, you know, I've been blessed to trek through Nepal 
um, to go to Ethiopia and be out in the bush and, and be in lots of different places. And, and I love that I've never been to those places necessarily as a tourist, but I've been there again on a mission and with a purpose. You know, every time that I go somewhere, I've been on a mission and, and, and with a purpose. And so even like this trip that we're about to take to Mount Rainier, I, I want to experience all of life, you know, with my wife and with my kids, but, you know, with my family as, as I have defined it, you know, this family back here behind me. Um, and, and not all of them, cause a lot of them are from, you know, like past, like that's, that's old teenagers. That's me with them in Nepal right there, you know, but I, I want to take people along in journeys. I watched Woody do that. He took people along in those adventures and those journeys and what it created. And, and so I just want anything that is that I'm, I'm game for. Cause Mm. I have an adventurous mm. spirit inside of me, but I, it's not specific. It's, it's, it's not specific. I, it can be any, if there's purpose behind it, it can be anywhere. I just, I want to go places on purpose. I want to do things on purpose. I want to say things on purpose. I, I want to be able to answer that two-year-old question. We asked the very best question when we were two years old. Why? <laughs> right. And hmm. But we lose that because parents kind of beat it out of their kids. Well, because I said so. That's the worst answer you could ever give your child. Don't say because I said so. Find purpose in the reasons that you do things. And if your two-year-old asks you a question, why, and you don't have an answer to it, say, you know what? I don't know, honey. Yeah. Be honest about it. Yeah, the power of I don't know is huge. The power of I don't know is is amazing. And it's, you know, humility doesn't have to be humiliating. You can have humility. And, and some of the greatest conversations that I've had with people about God have been me saying, you know what? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Same. Let's, you know, let's look that up. You know, why don't you look that up? Let's look into that. Let's let's find let's out more stuff. Yeah. But, you know, let's read some stuff. Let's, you know, and, you know, if you're really interested, I'll go on the journey with you. I will go with you there on purpose. You know, I, I'd say, okay, actually, you know, so I, if there is one place that I know that I would like to go, it, it would be Israel. Okay. I would yeah. like to walk in the places that I read in scripture of Jesus. I'd like to walk in those places. And instead of just looking, because, you know, that, you know, I look at pictures of you walking on the wing of a plane and I'm just like, oh, that, that's, that looks really freaking cool, but it's different when you're actually up on the wing of a plane. That's absolutely A picture is never going to catch, capture that idea. You know, I, I saw pictures of the mountains in Nepal, of the Himalayan mountains. When I was in them, it was different. Oh yeah. You smell it, you taste it. You, I mean, there's just nothing. And I took hundreds of pictures <laughs> that and I are brought all them back. <laughs> I put them up on the biggest TV screens that I should and tried to show and zoom in and say, look, that mountain is actually, you know, like 50 kilometers away, but look how big that it looks there, you know, and you just can't capture that. I would like to go to those places and not, not even, I don't want to go like as a tourist. I want to go there on purpose. I want to go and sit as a student. I want to go there and walk in those places where, where Jesus was. I want to smell it. I want to feel the heat. Uh, I want to look at that water. I, I want to 
I want to step in those places and I want to be able to, you know, either tell those stories to other people or, you know, I'd love to take people. I'd love to my, you know, again, my son, who's an adventurer, Spencer, who's, who's an adventurer. I'm, I'm sure even with them fighting right now in that area, you know, and all the unrest that has been going on, I'm sure if I told Spencer, Hey, I've got plane tickets and we're going to go, he'd be like, let's go. Let's go. And we would be like ducking down right, and, right. you know, finding our way around there and, and we would go. So yeah, if there's, if there would be a place, mm, it would I be like that. that. And then just besides that, I want to go on any journey pretty much with anyone who has a purpose for why they're going on a journey, you know, it, it but I just, I want to do things with a purpose. The greatest commodity that I own is time. Mm-hmm. Same. I can never get any of it back. You can never earn any more. When it's done, it's done. And you never know when you're going to run out. Hmm. So I want to use every moment to its fullest potential th- that I possibly can. Hmm. 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 Well, I, I got to say, in closing, you have used those moments in my life. I've written about that. Actually, it's in one of the chapters of my book, chapter 13. It's called uh, Cold Ramen in the Clouds. And I talk about how some you told me playing basketball changed the way I look at life. Um, you give me encouragement. I was such a jerk, dude. <laughs> no, I mean, it was good. I mean, hey, was, we like you. you. Calm down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that was a formative experience. And that actually set the culture. You know, we, you guys started that basketball thing. We were playing three mornings a week. That went for eight years, three mornings a week. And we were inviting tons of people into it and people now who go to our church and whatever else. So uh, that inclusion, you taught me what inclusion looks like because inclusion isn't natural to everybody, definitely me. And so I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast, man. Hey, I, I appreciate it. It's been fun. It's been good talking to you again and, and seeing you again. It's It's been a long time, but it was, it was really good. Thanks for having me. for listening all the way to the end. Wow, you're like a professional podcast listener. If you like the interview you just heard, somebody else probably would too. Share the love by helping this podcast climb the rankings and be found by more people. Head over to iTunes and leave five stars and a review. As a thank you, I'll share my favorite reviews on Instagram. Speaking of Instagram, you can follow the show there at Everyday Adventures Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Ryplane. That's R-Y-P-L-A-N-E. Now go out there and chase your own adventure, and I'll meet you back here for our next episode.